This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer, Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going, Brian? Pretty good, Al. How's everything going with you? All good. Can't complain. Uh, lots to talk about uh, this week. Um, first, you know, I didn't get to, to ask you last time, and, and I know there was some news with your book, so why don't, why don't we talk about it right, right here up front? Uh, how, how are things going on, on the biography of the Sheik? Things are going really well, actually. So, uh, as I mentioned before, it's called Blood and Fire, and we're looking to put it out through ECW Press next March. Right now, I'm in the photo phase, which is a ton wow. of fun. I don't know if it's as much fun for Kevin because he's been helping. I was going to ask. I mean, how much is, is PWI involved? Because I know they, they've got the, the great archives there. Yeah. Well, you know, the majority, I have to say, the majority of the pictures in the book are actually coming from Dave Brzezinski, who was the Sheik's last manager in the 80s. He went by um, Supermouth Dave Drayson. And he is sort of like the ultimate Detroit wrestling historian and, you know, kind of like insider. And he's been helping me tremendously. And, and he also happened to be a photographer professionally for the Sheik. So he's got tons of pictures, but I have been, you know, PWI does have incredible archives and what I've been using that for and a couple of other sources is very specific things, you know, like, like, uh, Dave just has a ton of very, uh, of Detroit stuff. But if I want like, okay, I'd love to have stuff of the chic wrestling, Bruno San Martino in Madison square garden. That's something I come to PWI for. And then they have incredible stuff, you know? So this is actually the most fun part of the process for me because I don't have to rack my brain writing. You know, it's just, it's picking out the greatest photos and a book like this is going to have a lot of really great photos. So I hope to be done with the photo part of things by the end of the summer And then we go into the layout phase where we know what it's actually going to look like on the page. And then, God, I mean, then we're off to the races. I'm super excited about this book. Actually, one more thing about it is I've been sending it out to people to get kind of some early reviews. So I'm hoping for some good feedback. Hopefully they don't trash it. (laughs) Right now, the book is is in the hands of people like uh, Kevin Sullivan, Tommy Dreamer. Uh, Jim Cornette, John Arezzi. And I'm just I'm, I'm waiting and hoping for some positive feedback. We'll see how it goes. You got some early feedback from your your editor that was very good, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he said something which kind of blew me away because I try not to be, you know, pat myself on the back. And I'm always my worst critic, especially when you're writing in a bubble. You don't really know if it's any good or not. But but um, Michael Holmes, who is the senior editor at ECW Press, this is the guy who reads all the wrestling book manuscripts that go through there. He said it's the best. It's one of the best book manuscripts wrestling or otherwise that has come across his desk in 26 years and he wow, actually told me, i know and, and i he told me this is not myself this is his words he said that it, he thinks it's going to set a new standard for wrestler biographies when it comes wow. out so i mean like of course that's my greatest hope and i, I believe in my work and i put my heart and soul into telling the chic story but you know when it comes from somebody else like that in a position of authority that's when you really start to feel like, okay, I think we may have something here. So I have high hopes for it. I'm very excited about it. 
That's great to hear. I, we know you do terrific work just from your work over at PWI and super happy to hear that things are going so well. Uh, yep. Very much looking forward to seeing it myself. Um, from um, that uh, uh, past to legend to uh, another one, we're going to be talking a bit about the uh, the death of Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful. I think he was um, a a big figure in both our childhoods, watching uh, wrestling growing up at WWF, um, the sad news about his passing yesterday. We'll talk a bit about that. Also, uh, we're going to talk a bit about uh, kind of the, the end of the Thunderdome era. I think last night's uh, Raw uh, marked the last show WWE's going to be putting on um, at the Thunderdome, uh, getting back to live audiences with this Sunday's Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Maybe we'll talk a bit about that uh, as well. Maybe, and we'll uh, we'll kind of talk about, you know, what, what, if anything, could have been learned from the Thunderdome experiment and what they should be mindful of uh, now that they're returning to uh, live crowds. Uh, and then after that, um, a really fun interview that I've got uh, from the pages of the latest Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, our hot seat interview with AEW Women's Champion Britt Baker. Um, I conducted this interview just a couple days after uh, she won the title and uh, in an absolute blast uh, uh, talking to Britt on all kinds um, of topics, um, some of which are, are in the magazine and some stuff. We're going to have some exclusive clips here that you haven't heard, uh, including her giving her thoughts on whether women should be um, allowed in the PWI 500, which is a big discussion we've had um, for, for a while here. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, for that, uh, right now, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It features Britt Baker on the cover and her hot seat um, interview, but there is uh, a lot more. We've got features on Paul Heyman uh, talking about the real Roman Reigns, uh, a really fun feature looking on maybe one of the more overlooked uh, matches and uh, uh, rivalries in WWE over the last year, and it's Ricochet and Ali. Ricochet kind of back on the map after... Um, a strong outing last night on Raw, and it seems to be getting more TV time. So we were, I guess, maybe a, little, a bit ahead of the curve in uh, showcasing his, his underappreciated work in WWE. Uh, plus uh, features on Jade Cargill, on uh, Tetsu Tetsuya Naito, and uh, a lot more. A fun one in here is the SummerSlam Book of Lists. That's that's uh, uh, your uh, contribution to this issue, right? What what uh, can you tell us more about the SummerSlam Book of Lists? Yeah, so this was kind of uh, <clears throat> something that I pitched. Because, you know, I've been reading PWI and the other Kappa magazines, formerly London magazines, since, you know, I was in high school. And there was an issue of inside wrestling from, I want to say, 1993. It was like right when I was starting college. And it was the SummerSlam book of lists. And the crazy thing about that was SummerSlam was only five years old at that time. Yeah. And, but they had all these like stats compiled and everything. And I remember thinking, OK, this new issue we're working on is going to be coming out like right around like, you know, in in the lead up to SummerSlam. And I'm thinking, OK, what if what if I brought back that concept? I mean, now it's been 30 plus years, you know, since, since SummerSlam started and, and there's so much more to do and so many more possibilities. So I, I did this thing where it's like just kind of like looking at it statistically but in a fun way you know like how many times has the world has a world title changed at SummerSlam who's had the most appearances at SummerSlam who has the best undefeated streak at SummerSlam or the best record things like that like celebrities at SummerSlam because we always think about celebrities at WrestleMania so I, I just thought it was kind of a cool way without us you know we don't know this far in advance like who's going to be wrestling on the card or what the main event's going to be so I thought what's a great thing to put in there that no matter who's on the card it'll get people excited for SummerSlam and it was bringing back the the book of lists 
Yes, I've, I've got uh, here in front of me, and yeah, we even have the cover of the original SummerSlam uh, book of lists, and you've got, um, you know, the hottest matches, world title changes, uh, celebs, what else, popular locales, biggest crowds, yeah. uh, so uh, lots of fun stuff, and SummerSlam is a fun show to do it uh, with because uh, it, it isn't sort of like a gimmick show like Royal Rumble or Survivor Series or Money in the Bank. It's just kind of like a, a, a second WrestleMania, you know, yeah. uh, in the summer, maybe particularly so this year that they're doing it in, in a football stadium. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, it, it's fun when you're curling up in front of your TV to watch the big show later this August. Uh, have your book of lists uh, in front of you. Uh, there, There's a lot more in here. There's a coverage on Double or Nothing, uh, all our columns, and a lot more. Go to pwi-online.com and get your copy, whether you're going to just um, get the one issue, you get delivered to your home, or you could download it right away, digital edition. Or really the way to go is to subscribe. You can save more than half off the cover price to get each issue for $3.65, which uh, is a terrific price. It's basically what you're playing, paying back when, when the first SummerSlam uh, came out around there. Yes. Um, so uh, a terrific uh, value, absolutely the way to go. Uh, again, if you download the digital edition, um, you could have it uh, right away. Uh, comes out weeks ahead of the print issue, but certainly if you want the print issue, it's also the way to go because you'll have it delivered right to your home. Don't have to worry about finding it at a newsstand. Um, again, pwi-online.com. You could also listen to the podcast there. You can subscribe to the completely free PWI weekly newsletter. Um, and uh, while you've got the computer all open, uh, head over to prowrestlingtees.com or whatamaneuver.net. You can check out our line of PWI uh, t-shirts. You can follow us on social media at official PWI on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, what else? You can send us an email here at PWI podcast at outlook.com or PWI at Kappa publishing.com. Uh, trying to think if there's anything else. Well, I guess it's worth mentioning. So, so uh, this issue is out uh, now. Folks should have it in their hands. Uh, we're just wrapping up work on the next issue, which is going to feature the PWI poll and some other stuff. Um, and after that is the big one. It's a PWI 500. We've already met to discuss it. I'm mean, pretty much it's fair to say that that there is a PWI 500 draft uh, in shape. Uh, what, what is you know ha having sat through those meetings um, once again? What, what's your take? Spoiler free take on what this uh, year's 500 is shaping up to look like. I, I feel like this is the second time I've been a part of it, you know, the, the inner workings of the PWI 500. So I don't have as much of a point of comparison as you might have, but I got the sense this time. And again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to give anything away that there was a, there was more consensus this year. I, I don't know if that, like, it seemed like last year there was much more like undecidedness, even at the very top of, of how things were going to shake out. I feel like, this time, and especially at the very top, it was more like everybody kind of was on the same page. You know, uh, I don't know if you felt the same way. Well, I, I, I think there was a lot of consensus in putting most of the list together. I actually think yeah, the one more than last. was probably on on uh, my part, uh, but <laughs> I think there was a healthy debate about who was number one um, this year. I don't know that it was, I think, uh, and again, spoiler free, even though, I mean, I think people know who the big contenders uh, are here. Uh, but there was some pushing and pulling between um, two names, and I yes, think strong arguments made um, for, for both of them. Yeah, and I mean, I think I, we're not giving anything away, but I, I don't think you need to be, uh, you know, Karnak the Magnificent to figure out who the two names might be. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, we landed on The Miz. So right. he's, <laughs> of the, course, it's uh, Steve Malenko. 
you know. <laughs> Anyhow, so uh, still a while before uh, that one, but just kind of a, a preview of things to come. Yeah, I mean, one of my takeaways, and I'm sure we'll talk uh, about it a lot more um, in, in the coming weeks, is, and it, I, I sort of feel like I go through this every year and it's always a shock, but uh, maybe particularly so this year, how quickly you're past that top tier of WWE, right? You know, and you're you're on to, you know, it feels like several rungs below the top tier and uh, you're kind of like barely out of the top 10, right? You know, so yeah. so uh, yeah. it, 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 it is one of the fascinating things is it's kind of a revelation of, um, in in every wrestling promotion, um, it issues of roster depth. You know, uh, who's got the deep roster, who doesn't, and and um, I I think it, it definitely like exposes some some issues there. Yeah, and I also think it's it's great now that we're doing a tag team list because yeah, that, that's always a struggle. I feel like, what do you do with the tag team guys? You know, yeah. because you're judging them by different criteria because most real like tag team specialists are not having a ton of singles matches, you know? So it's like, it's tough, but then how do you leave them out if they're like among the biggest stars in the business? Like people like the Young Bucks are huge stars, you know? So, I mean, it sort of takes a little bit of the pressure off where you don't have to, because they have their own list. Yeah. The other thing, uh, another thing about it that that was unique to this year, it was a factor last year uh, as well, but but maybe more this year was just issues of activity because of the the pandemic. Um, you know, we've had the standard for for what qualifies as being active enough to make the um, the 500 uh, each year. And in some cases, um, you had the the world champion of a promotion that did not, you know, meet the, the criteria. Uh, and, it, it you know, there were entire companies where a good chunk of their roster, um, you know, didn't didn't meet the, the activity requirements. So, uh, yeah, that you know, it, it's really our second pandemic era pwi 500 uh so yeah interesting times this is i think my 15th man that's crazy yeah where does the time go <laughs> what yeah. was the number one who was number one your first year do you remember cena yeah it's one of the few things i have framed um right. I have it up in my basement my first pwi 500 i think the right i did the write up for the top 10 um then as well a great pitcher and i think he went on to does he hold the record i think he did it Right. Yeah, I think he does. I think three times. I think he might be tied. What he did hold the record for um, was the most years in top 10. I think it was like 12, 13 consecutive years. Um, and sense. what's that? I said that makes total sense. I mean, sure. People yeah. can say whatever they want about him, but you, you can't name a single person that was the guy in WWF slash E, whatever, as consistently year after year for that long a time as he was. Without yeah, a back to like Bruno, right? I mean, in terms of a yeah, run Bruno, that lasted I mean, that long. Yeah, I mean, because even Bruno, like, was, you know, after he was champ for seven years, he took a break for, like, at least a mm -hmm. decent year where he wasn't full-time there anymore. Like, because I was thinking about that. Not even Bruno can claim that to be, like, something like 11, 12 years plus yeah. where you are the unquestioned, top guy in the company week after week. Like, I, I don't think that's because even the undertaker as great as he was, and he's been around for so long, he, he was very rarely the top guy on the roster. You know what I mean? He was like the Andre, the giant attraction. So, you yeah. know, Cena was the man. I mean, he deserves that credit. He really does. And, and might be again soon. That's another one of the kind of the rumors circulating, you know, on the topic of, of SummerSlam. A lot of indications that he'll he's going to factor into it big. And uh, that's really exciting. I mean, I think WWE could absolutely use a, a John. They could use a John Cena at any time. But um, 
absolutely uh, uh, right now. You know, not to jump the gun too much, but you know, they they they're getting back on the road and uh, tickets right. just went on sale for um, their first show, Madison Square Garden, close to two years. And apparently, they they weren't exactly flying off the shelves. Um, well, I mean, they did okay. And and what I remember from from my years going to house shows. Um, uh, especially when my kids were real small throughout all the, the Cena years, he was, you talk about a difference maker, whether he was on the show or not on the show made all the difference in how yeah. they sold. That's what I mean. I mean, he was like, he, he was, it wasn't just the brand. He, he moved merch and he made a difference in, in house show sales and pay-per-view sales and everything. Like he really moved the needle and, and that's the defining factor because it wasn't just, we're going to see WWE. It's, Oh my God, John Cena's on the card. And that was a real throwback. Cause you don't really, see that so much anymore you know but uh, but you know you mentioned SummerSlam I just read the last observer basically saying it's it's a lock that that's going to be the main event for Reigns and Cena I don't know if you've yes. heard I, I heard uh, Meltzer actually earlier today talking about how um, whatever issues in terms of uh, uh, movie commitments or anything like that um, were, were suspected have all been cleared yeah. out of the way and it, he seems to be clear to do it and man that is super exciting you know really uh uh it's funny that i feel like already to some extent people have kind of forgotten the significance and the contributions of uh john cena i i know it's a term that uh you hate to hear because it's so overused uh but when you talk about the the mount rushmore of wwe um he absolutely is is one of the heads i mean you're talking about one of the pillars of WWE's history and uh in his early 40s i mentioned here before you know when last time he was on kind of a sustained break uh then they brought him back for a, a holiday a house show tour that i i went to at nassau coliseum and um it was supposed to be daniel bryan and i forget uh who his opponent was supposed to be but uh he was out with the flu or something like that so um, Cena was a last minute replacement and just tore the house down Had one of the, one of the best house show matches I've ever seen. I mean, anybody talks about, you know, he can't wrestle is just living on a different planet because uh, Cena on his a game is as good as they come. I'm, but, you know, you're really talking now uh, if if you don't count and I don't think you should uh, that the uh, the the Firefly Funhouse match of last year's WrestleMania, he hasn't had a real wrestling match now. The one I mentioned might have been it for all I know. I mean, it's probably been two, two and a half years since he's had, um, maybe yeah. not that long, but it's been quite a while you since he's weird been in a real match. I think, you know, history gives perspective because for me, the you know, it, it's not cool for people to say that Cena is great and he's a great performer and he deserves credit as one of the all-time greats. Like, that's not a hip thing to say yeah. in much the same way as, you know, 30 years ago or even like 25 years ago to say that. Hogan was great. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't a cool opinion to have as a wrestling fan. Like everybody talked about, you know, Flair was the greatest and all that stuff. And to say that, well, Hogan's an incredible performer that made you sound like you were like a, like a little kid who didn't know about wrestling. And I think history has changed that attitude about him, at least as a performer, you know, recognition of what an incredible performer he was. And I'm hoping the same thing happens with Cena, where this whole thing of like, you know, oh, Cena was, you know, how can you like him? He was so, you know, boring or whatever is is nonsense. I mean, he was incredible from top to bottom. He was like the tailor made, you know, prototype, which was his original name, right, of what you would want in a top star. The look, the the promos, the wrestling, everything, even San Martino himself, when he came back to the company and they were interviewing him, I, I distinctly remember this. They asked him about Cena 
And he said he was blown away by him and he couldn't understand why there was such polarization about him, that he he was so undeniably great. And that's coming from Bruno San Martino. Because so he that, was a bit uh, a bit of a throwback, right? I mean, he was like this, the, the, the righteous baby face. And um, I, I think in kind of the post attitude era of some some folks weren't really ready for that. It was a little bit too saccharine for them. And uh, but but he he just did a fantastic job. And the great thing about him coming uh, back now, even if it is for one off or, or, or maybe he, um, you know, returns to a role of, of coming back for a couple of big shows, uh, your, whatever they have uh, from him is going to be uh, a gift. Uh, but they're getting back a much bigger star than he was uh, before. I mean, you know, uh, Fast and Furious 9, huge box office. He's now uh, in the DC Cinematic Universe. He's got um, uh, a show, uh, I think, that's going to be on on Showtime, also from from uh, with his DC character. Uh, the word was just came out that he signed for some big, you know, spy thriller. He's a, a bona fide movie star now. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's sort of like when The Rock left um, in, in the early 2000s and, and then came back with uh, several successful movies under his belt. It was a much bigger deal. You don't just have your your former top star you know, kind of like a Hulk Hogan character, you've got a movie star in the ring now. And uh, that's going to be huge for them promoting SummerSlam. If, because, you know, John Cena, now, now for a few years, but he does it around. He does, you know, Jimmy Fallon and he'll do the Today Show and all that stuff. He is, you know, a, a list would be an exaggeration, but he is a legit crossover star. I, I'd say clearly The Rock is ahead of him, but is it, has there ever been a wrestler? Um, Another wrestler that that's had this kind of success uh, in, in in the mainstream, uh, I can't. Think, I mean, Hogan certainly didn't. You know, The Rock is ahead of everybody though. Sure, that's not, like he's yeah. the number one. Wrestling or not wrestling, the I mean, Rock, he's, is, he's, Rock he's is ahead of Tom Cruise. You know what sure. I mean? Like, yeah. The Rock is the number one star in in Hollywood, and he's definitely the biggest you know crossover star in the history of professional wrestling. There's no question about it. Yeah, but Cena might be number two now. You know, and maybe number uh, two right now. I don't know about sure. all, but maybe. I, I, you know, maybe maybe I'm forgetting somebody really obvious. Um, Andre the Giant. I mean, you know, there uh, were no. I mean, that he was kind of a special attraction, but you know, when you needed a giant in in your movie or something, you'd you'd cast him. But but Cena is now. You know, I saw it. It's terrible. It, I mean, the, the <laughs> Fast and Furious movie. But it is a big deal to be in, in a Fast and Furious movie. Those things are huge box office. Um, Do you know I've never you, seen one of those movies. Uh, you're, isn't you're not missing much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they, they make, basically my realization at the end of it was um, this is basically Sharknado now. This is what it's uh, be, it just uh, absurd. I mean, absurd in a way that I think they they know that it's absurd, but uh, it's, you know, absurd uh, nevertheless. Uh, so, yeah, that's something WWE's got to, to look forward to. Uh, but but getting back on top of what we, we want to talk about, and it all kinds of uh, fits in, because when you talk about uh, uh, box office draws, difference makers, um, certainly for, for live uh, ticket events, um, we lost a huge one uh, yesterday. And when, you know, w- when you, you talk about that 80s kind of golden era of the rock and uh, wrestling uh, era of WWF, um, you don't hear the, the name Paul Orndorff that much, at least in the mainstream, because he wasn't the most colorful character. People remember 
Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and, and Macho Man Savage and the Ultimate Warrior and Rowdy Roddy, Pape, Roddy Piper, um, you don't hear, at, at least again, a, a, among sort of casual fans and mainstream fans, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. Uh, but, you know, for me, and, and I think for you growing up with 80s WWF wrestling uh, here in, in the Northeast, and, and for me, you know, that, that 1986 kind of WrestleMania 2 uh, era was really when I was, you know, coming on strong, becoming uh, a wrestling fan. And it didn't get bigger than uh, Paul Orndorff and and Hulk Hogan. Um, so it, it it's uh, it, it's kind of unfortunate that that people don't appreciate. And I know many people listening to this and, and wrestling fans do. But um, what can you tell people about what a big deal Paul Orndorff was? Oh, boy. Well, I think. You know, part of the reason why sometimes you're saying he sort of get got lost in the shuffle a bit is like, for example, if you look at the WrestleMania one main event, you know, out of the four people in that match, he was the lowest profile right. and he and he was the one, you know, chosen to take the fall in that match. But the you best know. worker, right? Well, I mean, I think well, he, 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 so he was at in that era and he was there like 84 to 88. He was one of the best in-ring workers that they had. Like he was on a top tier with like. People like DB, Ted DiBiase, Randy Savage, Ricky Steamboat, like he was in that realm, you know, and um, a lot of times he does get overlooked. But even as a heel, he was like right up there, you know, Jake the Snake, Roddy Piper. He was at that level of those heels that you could have definitely seen getting a, a run with the title as a heel champ. And, you know, they didn't book it that way back then. They were still going for the really long babyface title reigns. But I guarantee you, if they had the booking philosophy back then as they do now, absolutely Paul Orndorff yeah. would have been the champion. He would have beat Hogan. He would have probably lost it back to Hogan. You know, they would have done that. Um, the feud that they had, you know, back then, you didn't have monthly pay-per-views, right? They were very few and far between. So they never had a chance to do like the big pay-per-view main event. They did get the big event, which was the Toronto show that in 80 in the summer of 86 that set the all-time attendance record you know which didn't last long because of wrestlemania 3 but i mean they did that that was sixty-five thousand people essentially a house show i mean this wasn't wrestlemania well, it was uh, filmed but they it, worked it later as as this big event and right. put out the tape because it was such a success but it wasn't something that was like promoted no. uh, nationally on tv or anything like that this was a uh, a toronto market house show and that was only the beginning of their feud. I mean, they feuded for six months. They sold out all over the country. It was huge business. It was probably one of the biggest money feuds that Hogan ever had. You put, you could even make an argument some of the best matches that he ever had because, you know, he, he was in there with somebody who was an incredible you know worker. So, like, when he's in there with people like, like DiBiase or, or Savage, you know, they could really get – him to another level that you might not see if he's in there with, you know, Kamala or Killer Khan or something, right? So so Orndorff was able to do that. He was one of the top tier heels in the company, really. He actually got hurt during that Hogan feud, and that was part of the cause for his a lot of his um, physical problems in later years because he kept working really badly hurt because he was making such good money with Hogan that he didn't want to walk away from it. And that was what led to the things like the nerve damage that he had, where he had, you know, one of his arms atrophied and it, it led to his early 
retirement, right? Because he did also have a great WCW run. We can't forget about that. He was it was nowhere near what he did. No, he had uh, yeah, he, he it, it is uh, interesting that as hot as he burned for those couple of years in WWE, um, he it didn't last that long. I mean, you talk about his his run lasting till 88, but that last year or so. Um, he took a big dip in the cards, I, I think, because he couldn't do what he uh, did before. They also went and turned him babyface again and put him with Oliver Humperdinck. I don't know that that, you know, really worked. And uh, it, yeah, and, and in some ways, what what really hurt Orndorff was, um, w- you know, maybe the biggest success in 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 um, or one of the biggest successes in WWE history. And that was turning Andre the Giant because. Uh, with that, they kind of turned the page. I mean, I I think you could have made an argument for that feud lasting longer than it did, uh, and it was so big. But and and because Andre was also uh, part of the the Heenan family, um, you know, Orndorff was kind of put in in, in the back seat. He was left off of WrestleMania three uh, altogether. Um, I guess there's talk that he was kind of on standby in case Andre couldn't uh, uh, make the match, but by by early 87 really after that that historic cage match that i remember so vividly watching uh with my brothers and saturday night's main event with with the tie ending um you know they really moved on uh and and it's a shame and and he never reclaimed uh that those heights in in wrestling like you said he went on to wcw and had a fine career you know i think he, he held tv title a couple times tag team titles with um with paul orndorff uh, with um, with Paul Roma, I'm sorry, uh, but but was never a top guy uh, there again. Then then trained folks in the power plant. But uh, you know when you talk about like studs in professional wrestling, um, that first half of uh, the 80s, even before coming over WWF, um, that was Paul Orndorff. I mean, uh, an amazing physique, right? Um, uh, a real athletic pedigree, uh, a guy who was legit. You know, and and that's why even though like you touched on, I mean, the, the, the formula for Hogan in the eighties was really kind of slaying giants. And in that sense, um, Orndorff was a little bit of kind of a detour from that because he was, um, a, a good deal smaller, uh, than Hogan, but played that role so well. And, you know, I think today the storyline of his, uh, heel turn, which was so telegraphed, like <laughs> weeks and weeks in advance, you know, it, it, it I think it wouldn't go over well. Now, granted, I was whatever eight years old at the time, but man, was there anything bigger than than Hogan raising Hogan's hand uh, at the end of that match with um, Stud and Bundy, and then hitting him with that clothesline and the pile driver? I mean, it was like jaw dropping stuff. Maybe my favorite heel turn ever. Right, and people have talked about how you know that heel turn had such impact because. When the WWF got really big at that time, they brought in a ton of new young fans who had never watched wrestling before. So for those kids, that was one of the first big, if not the first big shocking heel turn they ever saw. It was almost like you're watching it as a kid and you're going like, oh, my God, I didn't know that these guys did that. That's a good point. You know, that that probably does have a lot to do with it being so kind of burned in my memory. Yeah. Yeah. But he he you know, he looked great, like you said. And a lot of times there was this way of thinking, especially back then, that like if you were this big muscle guy, then obviously you couldn't work. And and the guys who were the best workers were the guys that didn't look the most impressive. Like you wouldn't think they would be 
great. Like Ted DiBiase, you know, is not like one of the one of the world's great wrestling bodies, but the guy was incredible in the ring. But Orndorff was the exception to that. And I and another guy like Rick Rude comes to mind where Steamboat like, had a good physique too. Yeah, he did, especially in in WWF. Yeah, but um, for reasons, right? But when you look at <laughs> Orndorff, you go, oh, uh, this guy, he has a million dollar body, but he has the talent to go along with it. Like he works unbelievable. And, and, you know, like you said, even before he came to WWF, I would even tell people if you're looking for a deep dive, like when he came to WWF, a lot of times he was already kind of holding back, like in in the ring with Hogan, because you don't want to totally outshine Hogan. But like, go back and you can find this stuff. I mean, it used to be on the network, WWE Network. I don't know what the status is, but you can find it on YouTube. Like, look at the stuff he did in Mid-South and the stuff he did in Mid-Atlantic. There is a match on YouTube. You can find it. And I'm telling you, it's Paul Orndorff versus Ted DiBiase from Mid-South Wrestling in the early 80s. It is the greatest Paul Orndorff match that I have ever seen period with my own eyes and it's only about 10 minutes long and these guys tear it up like it's the kind of a match you could picture seeing in nxt today like no joke and look up that match paul orndorff and ted dibiase uh from from mid-south it's like 81 or 82 unbelievable you know the guy really doesn't get as much credit as he deserves yeah, and and clearly deteriorated a lot here in the in the last few years. You know, I, I think he he made an appearance at WrestleMania 30, right? Um, right. Uh, when they kind of put the the WrestleMania original WrestleMania main event back together with Hogan and and T and all them, which was a cool moment. And I think he might have had another appearance in WWE television um, sometime after that when it was some kind of celebration of Hogan. Um, and even then, he was uh, uh, looking older than you'd think. Uh, he also, and, I think he also had cancer that he beat at a certain point, right. which yeah. kind of really weakened him. And, um, you know, he had been dealing with some dementia for a while now. Um, you know, he was, you know, table for three, the show they have on right. the network. It's a really great show. He and Piper and Okerlund were the first one. They were the first episode of it. I just, I just rewatched it again last night. And it's just so sad to think those guys are all gone, all three of them. And that was only yeah. like five years ago. I, nine, I, uh, I read yesterday ago? that that the Hogan's opponents from the first six WrestleManias are all gone now. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's depressing. Yeah. And, yeah. and Hogan looks great. <laughs> you know, so um, that, yeah, a, a real loss. Uh, you know, WWE did the, the graphic at the beginning of the show. Um, it'd be nice if they did something a little bit more, you know, put together one of those video packages. I, um, I think there might be some hard feelings there, right? Because I think he was involved in one of these concussion lawsuits against uh, the company. So I don't know what kind of terms they were on. And over the years, Ornorf was pretty vocal in, in some issues he had with the company. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, a, a hugely important figure and, and one that um, fans, especially newer fans, should uh, very much be aware of. Uh, so, uh, moving on, uh, another uh, thing uh, happening, uh, gets over the past week with last night's uh, Raw and, and uh, SmackDown last week. Um, they're closing down the Thunderdome, you know, beginning with Money in the Bank uh, this Sunday. They are back in front of live crowds. Uh, so, just about a year of uh, the Thunderdome. And, you know, to, to be clear, remember the Thunderdome didn't debut right away. It was, it was I think, uh, the SmackDown before SummerSlam that uh, they they unveiled uh, the Thunderdome for what it was. I mean, I've said it and, and I've had my criticisms, but I don't think anybody pivoted 
uh, in any kind of form of entertainment or sports, as well as WWE did with the Thunderdome, you know, that they were able to put that thing together. And uh, on any given week, you sort of like forgot that it was there and it just kind of became raw. And it was never perfect, but given the circumstances, uh, I think they did just a fantastic uh, job. Um, what's going to be your, your memories of, uh, the Thunderdome and what, if anything, can they learn from this experiment? I think, uh, I'm not the first person to say something to this effect, but I think what sums it up really well is to say, you know, the Thunderdome was an incredible, amazing, innovative concept. And I hope that I never see it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it served its purpose, which was important. It was a brilliant way to deal with the issue. I remember the first time they did it. I think I've said this. My wife, who will rarely watch with me. And if she does, she's watching out of the corner of her eye like she sat up and and was like incredibly impressed with with the visual of it and everything. And it was great. It was a great idea. But of course, it does not take the place of a live crowd and the piped in, you know, noise became like a running joke over time. Like the whole like knowing that it wasn't real when you would hear chants and things, it sort of underlined the artificiality of it. So it was great, but I think it ran its course. And I think people are really, really ready now to get back to even if they're even if they're not 100 percent ready to actually buy a ticket and go themselves. Yeah. They're definitely ready to see and feel a live crowd, even if it's just on TV when when they're watching the show. I, I, I think it's time, you know, and as far as what what they could learn from it, you know, this was an interesting time for them where they had an opportunity to really have total control in some ways it was like vince mcmahon's ultimate dream come true where you don't have to worry about fan backlash and stuff and and they were able to do things like the the drew mcintyre experiment the roman reigns experiment the bobby lashley experiment and i hope that they are ready really and maybe maybe might be more open again to now that the fans are back to actually trying to listen to them more the way that they used to instead of forcing things you know that's i re- i really really hope that they might have had time to be a little circumspect about that to think like well the people are back now maybe it's time we actually you know listen to what they think and what they have to say yeah it's definitely uh, kind of um been a mixed blessing, you know, on, on one hand, you know, I, I interviewed um, uh, Bianca Belair last week and was asking her a bit about this. And I've heard this from a lot of people and they talked about kind of in the absence of live uh, reactions, they were forced to hone other skills. And in her case, uh, she, she talked about just trying to become a, a better wrestler and, and really improving her in-ring uh, uh, ability. Um, you know, Britt Baker, not in WWE, but, but she said something similar in, in the interview that you'll hear uh, later here. That, you know, when you don't have fans, you got nothing to do but just kind of become a uh, a better wrestler. Uh, but then, you know, Bailey also talked about how the the lack of fans also helped her character, you know, um, because it 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 forced you into kind of really uncomfortable kind of zone of of playing in front of an audience that that wasn't there. Uh, so I think there were some some good that that came out of it, um, like you touched on. They they were missing that that kind of immediate focus group of uh, a real uh, live uh, fan reaction uh, and and that sort of them and yet you know one of the great ironies is that for for all the years that they had the audience it, 
with with Roman Reigns' case, at least, you know, they, they had that focus group and they were ignoring it. And when they finally found the right character for Roman Reigns, it was without fans there. You know, the 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 Roman, the, the awesome Roman Reigns character that we have now was born in the um, the Thunderdome era. Um, one thing, I, I you know, you say you hope you, you never see it again. To some extent, I, I agree. But I also wonder if there isn't some version of the Thunderdome that is worth keeping around. Uh, somehow. And I think back to uh, WCW in the 90s, and this was an, an Eric Bischoff creation. He talked about how, you know, the, the the live crowds were down so much that they were losing money every time that they would go out. So they came up with the idea of doing TV uh, essentially as kind of like a theme park attraction. So you'd go to whatever Disney MGM or universal. And I went to some TNA tapings like that in when they had the, um, what do they call it? The, the, the TNA zone. Yeah. Whatever it was. Um, and yeah, I mean, they weren't really wrestling fans. It was like you were in the park and they pull you in there. And, but it, for what it was, it worked. And I wonder if the Thunderdome couldn't kind of be the modern version of that, not for raw, not for SmackDown, uh, but if they're going to keep a 205 live, you know, something like that, or a main event, I mean, if there are smaller uh, shows, shows of lesser importance that or, or just for Peacock or something like that, can you keep some version of the Thunderdome uh, so you don't have all the production costs uh, of of selling tickets and and, you know, frankly, boring a live crowd with something that they don't really want to see, but you could put on a show. Now, look, the answer is don't put on boring shows. Uh, <laughs> but if they're if they're going to keep you know, two hundred five live is the one that really comes to mind as potentially uh, something that would work with this kind of Thunderdome uh, uh, setting. Where and they were doing this a lot, I think, including up, uh, including with Raw last night. The fans aren't even live. I mean, these are all like um, canned videos of other Thunderdome shows, and they put them together for uh, the show. So, uh, you know, it, it was such an innovation, and I imagine a real big expense. Uh, I can't imagine there's not something you could you could do with it. And uh, the the other part of it is, you know, n not that I think that they would go back to Thunderdome because of this, but it's not a given that they're going to pack these arenas every night uh, either. Uh, and uh, again, the, the Madison Square Garden uh, sales sound like they're a little soft. And I think in, in general, it might take a, a little while to kind of rev that engine uh, back up. I don't know how much of it is still some hesitancy from, from folks and, and being in, in big public spaces um, and how much of it is just kind of like the product is, is not exactly super hot right now. Uh, I, also don't think, I don't think pricing is helping very much to yeah. be honest. Because I bought tickets to that. I'm going. I'm taking my son. It's going to be. The garden? Yeah. It's, it's, what, what was the range? Um, you, well, I got tickets. Again, I haven't bought tickets to a to a WWE, like especially a garden show in, in a year or two or probably three. And I got tickets in the in the 200 section for like they were like, God, um, uh, definitely over a hundred dollars each. Is that with all the fees or before the fees? Uh, that was, uh, I think, 105 before the fees is what I'm remembering. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of that is just a reality of, like, live events. I, I think it's, but it's a reality, and it's what they charge now, But and I understand that. But I would think if they were looking to welcome people back and 
and urge people to come and fill the places after such a long time, especially when we know that house show business is not like a make or break thing or, yeah. you know, or ticket sales rather are not a make or break thing. You would think that they would bring the prices down as a gesture of goodwill, even temporarily to fill the houses back up again. That's what disappointed me. Right. The priority now should be having a packed crowd and, and right. not getting, you know, whatever that, that revenue from the live gate would be, which, it, like you said, in the big picture, isn't going to make that much of a difference um, for them. You know, that said, the garden is kind of a special case because it's so expensive to run there that I guess if you don't try to recoup some of that in ticket sales, you're really taking a bath because the, the, the garden, um, you know, it, I, I don't know how Ring of Honor or, or any uh, New Japan, it was successful for them, but it, but it's cost. AAA was the one that tr a couple of years ago tried running there, which I thought was crazy. And inevitably they had to move it to the smaller theater. Uh, but it is hugely expensive. Uh, to to run the garden. So, but but you're right. I mean, if you're the last time I was at a a TV taping, uh, it it was a SmackDown at um, the Garden, and this was after SummerSlam, 2018, 19. It was it was um, I think the Undertaker was the big yeah, show, the big I, uh, appearance. It was July 2018. It was the Undertaker's. First yeah, it was because it because Kofi was the champion. Um, so oh, yeah, okay. it was and we're nice. thinking of a different one because yeah. the Undertaker. And that was, was um, uh, honestly, I don't know if it was a third full. Yeah, which was shocking. Yeah. Well, it's like 1994 again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, go to the religiously, and there'd be like 3,000 people there for some of those shows. It was great. I'd walk up to, you know, the box office right before the show. You you'd buy the cheapest ticket in the house. And back then, I think you could still get tickets for 10, 15 bucks uh, and then walk away up to the front. <laughs> you could be like almost ringside. Uh, oh, but, I mean, it wasn't down to those levels, uh, but it was a bad, bad uh, crowd. And that was a couple of years ago. And, you know, the, the TV ratings, at least since then, have fallen further. I mean, I guess there's other metrics that show that they're up in some ways. Uh, but, um, it's interesting, you know, that they, they, they've now put raw, uh, talent on that show uh, as well, I guess, to kind of try to just spruce it up. Uh, the, the, the other side of it, you know, AW also now, uh, back on the road, they're doing two shows in the New York area. One is, um, um, kind of a make good for a, a new work date that was at the beginning of pand the pandemic that they didn't do. And then they're also doing, um, the, the tennis stadium in Flushing, which is going to be an incredible site. Uh, and those tickets go on sale Friday. If, you know, I don't know how much of it is perception, but it feels like AEW is a, a hotter product. It'll be interesting to see what the sales are like in the New York market. What, what are your expectations for how that show will do? Well, I, part of it is I think from what I've heard and read that the ticket prices are going to be a little bit more reasonable than the garden ones. So I think that'll help them fill it up. I think, though, the, the you know, the problem is and WWE knew this is that the, the SmackDown show is a couple of weeks before and the tickets went on sale a week before. So I think you're going to have a lot of people that because it was the first one that went on sale in the market, that they'll jump on that one potentially instead of the AEW one. But I but I still think they're not going to have any trouble getting a good crowd in there because it's the novelty of the first show in the New York market from AEW. You know, it's like even though I mean the Newark show, too, but I mean, like in actual New York City and it's the first time ever running that venue 
I think they're going to do just fine there. I mean, I'm going to try to get tickets for that one too. Why the, why the yeah, heck not? I'm going to go for yeah. it. <laughs> I'll yeah, go to no, both. I mean, I, 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 after, you know, this, this long hiatus, I, I want to catch as much as possible. So I'm hoping to go to the Newark show uh, as well. The Newark show, SmackDown and uh, the Flushing show. I think the one thing that, that in, in term, you know, besides just kind of overall feeling like the hotter product right now, the one thing that, AEW can market kind of like what WCW did back in the day that WWE really just can't is surprises, right? So, I mean, we just had the former Aleister Black debut on AEW uh, last week, um, uh, Andrade a few weeks uh, before that. Now, we've talked here about is it the best idea to just keep on signing these kind of old WWE names? Um, do you go down that kind of TNA road, the Dixie Carter TNA uh, era? Uh, but by and large, I mean, I think they're picking up a worthwhile talent, but there is this feeling of, um, you know, anything could happen in AEW. And there's also, I think, uh, a lot more intriguing, fresh matches in AEW. And, and part of it, and this is huge, and this goes back to, you know, what we were just saying about the the, the 500, they've got over baby faces, right? And, and maybe more important than anything that a wrestling company um, could have, you know, going back to that that John Cena uh, a formula. Who's the top babyface in WWE right now? I mean, I couldn't even tell you. You know, you, we've got Kofi challenging for the world title um, at Money in the Bank um, this weekend, and I love Kofi. I think he's terrific. I wish he was, you know, in that position to be a top babyface, but realistically, that that's not his role. Um, over on SmackDown, they're bringing Edge back. In what I imagine is kind of, you know, another one off, maybe he does a couple shows, but he's not a full time guy. And um, past that, I, I really have to be like reaching to tell you who the top baby faces are. I, you know, is it is it Randy Orton? Is it you know, it, it's such a such a steep drop. Cesaro, um, you know, I think it's, Mysterio, I think it's Kevin still, Owens. I would say McIntyre still, which says McIntyre, a lot. Yeah. He's he's you know he's been seriously weakened by the you know the Lashley thing and I mean that that feud went on for way longer than it ever should have the fact that he he lost decisively at WrestleMania and they just kept going with it was mind boggling to me to the point where you know people are beyond sick of that match by now for and, and uh, but still I can't think of a baby face in a higher position. In WWE right now, I mean, yeah, like you said, Edge, but I mean, that feels like a one-off. It's not, you know, that's sort of like a in-and-out kind of thing, but I, I would say McIntyre. Yeah. What, what, while we're on the topic, uh, what do you see coming out of uh, Money in the Bank um, this weekend? Do you assume both the world uh, champions uh, retain? I guess I kind of do. Um, I wouldn't say it's completely unheard of that they maybe put the title back on, on Kofi for a brief run. To extend this, I'm, I'm not counting on it, um, and I don't see Roman losing uh, to to Edge. Uh, and what do you do with the actual Money in the Bank uh, match? Who, who do you see winning that? I don't see either guy losing their title there either. I feel like you know, I, I mean, look, if we're talking Cena at SummerSlam, there's no way that they, they right. would be insane to take the title off of Reigns at this point. You got to keep him as strong as possible, you know. And and the same thing goes with Lashley. I feel like. Kingston, it's an interesting program. It's an interesting feud because he has that backstory and he has the the title reign that didn't really work out the way people wanted. So, you know, it's the redemption story. But 
I really feel like he is in that position that he's in right now to to further strengthen Lashley as champion. I mean, I think that's his role. So I, I don't see either one uh, changing. As far as like the, the money in the banks, I don't know. Like this is a weird year. It's the first time where I have a really hard time. <laughs> I have to be honest. I have a really hard time deciding who I think is probably – going to win although i would say i'm def- pulling up the, the i'm not even positive who the the entrants are so i'm pulling it up right now i'll just uh, say so Matt the- morrison how about that <laughs> <laughs> so the the men's uh match has uh kevin owens drew mcintyre riddle ricochet morrison biggie nakamura and rollins i mean you certainly have the talent there to have a terrific match right i mean uh guys like we saw with morrison and ricochet last night but riddle uh morrison ricochet um, even even Rollins uh, are, are going to bring you know the the thrills the work rate, uh, and then you got a guy like McIntyre. I could see them going with McIntyre. You know that that could um, create some different storylines. I guess right now he can't challenge uh, Lashley. That was one of the the stipulations uh, of his last loss. So, uh, but he could go over to to SmackDown conceivably, maybe challenge uh, Reigns at some point. Uh, lost to Reigns in that in the champion versus champion match. Yeah, right? it was kind of a one-off. I mean, that wasn't a kind of a full-fledged feud, so they they could do something there. Otherwise, you know, I I I'd love to see them heat up Ricochet. You know, it, it seems like they're kind of remembering in the last few weeks that he works for them, and this <laughs> is the kind of match that he would shine in. Uh, but you know, the other thing is. Last year's uh, Money in the Bank ladder match, and I got a kick out of the the, the whole gimmick of doing it over at uh, Titan Tower. Uh, but in the end, it left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth because they put it on Otis just to take it off of Otis to put it on the Miz, and and we know how that turned out. So, uh, you know, you get your hopes up, and the the hope is like you're you're making a star here, uh, but it doesn't feel like. You know, I, I guess Riddle, Ricochet are, are in those positions. Big E is a guy who everybody's been talking about really for a year now, um, should be positioned as that that next guy. So if I could pick who I would want to win, if I could pick who I would want to win, it would be him. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say Ricochet, but I just don't have the confidence that um, they're going to go all the way with him. I think he's really there just to kind of, you know, take some some crazy bumps and do some crazy spots. But I, 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 I'm I not convinced they're serious about him. Uh, any, anything else as a quick preview of the show? Uh, jump out at you. you got Rhea Ripley and uh, Charlotte again. Uh, AJ and Omas versus the Viking Raiders. Uh, what else? I, I like Lashley and... Um, and Kofi a lot. I think it's been a, a a fun feud. I've liked. I think both guys have been real good, and and I think they're going to have a heck of a match. I think it'll be great. And I think you know, for for a lot of younger fans, you gotta you, you gotta realize there can't be a sense of disappointment just because the title doesn't change. I mean, a, a, a feud can be a great feud even without a title change. I mean, like we were just talking about Hogan and Orndorff, right? I mean, it's, it was a great feud. Orndorff didn't get the belt, and so what? It was still a great feud. Uh, same thing with this. I think it'll be. It'll be – not that I'm comparing Lashley and Kingston to Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff, but but I think it'll be a great match, and it's and it's been an interesting storyline. I like what they're what they're doing with it, and, and there's no need to switch the title. You know, as far as Ripley and, um, and Flair, you know, it's another one of those that has sort of been meandering and going on forever. They did that really weird 
Like, I don't know if it was supposed to be a double switch or what the heck it was with their last match where you were like Ripley yeah. kind of turned heel, but not really. And I, <laughs> it's this weird, like, the, I, I'm sad in a way of, I feel like for everything that's gone right for Bianca Belair, who has really risen to where she needs to be, and it's beautiful to see, I feel like the opposite has happened with Rhea Ripley. And I've been so hopeful for her, not that she's like buried or anything, but I feel like she has significantly lost steam from where she was at in NXT. It's like they're trying to make her into, I don't want to say make her into something she's not because I don't know her personally, but they're trying to change the gears of her character in a way that is counterintuitive to what was working in NXT. I just, uh, you know, she's... I don't want to see her become another one of those like examples of what happens when talent gets called up because yeah okay she's in the title picture and it's great and you know being the champ and all that stuff but I mean like we all know in professional wrestling where titles are you know titles are are, are gimmicks to sell matches that what what's most important is is where your character is at and I I'm a little disappointed at where she's at right now. Yeah, I agree. It's it's not working. I mean, I think it was kind of apparent at, at WrestleMania, and since then, uh, she's only cooled off more. Um, you know, hard to put my finger on it. I think some of it is uh, how she's positioned. I think some of it is her her own shortcomings in some ways. And you know, not not to be too critical, but but I don't know that uh, she is bringing her A game uh, every night. So uh, yeah, something needs to change. Like I said, I, I worry that. Yeah, it will be the latest NXT call-up that kind of flops, and um, that'd be a shame because we saw WrestleMania last year, uh, the potential there, and when they finally put her in, in the position that people wanted to see her in a year ago, uh, it's just like everybody's not putting their, their best foot forward on it. So um, as far as the women's uh, Money Bank ladder match, you've got uh, Alexa Bliss, uh, the returning Zelina Vega, Asuka, Naomi, uh, Nikki Ash, I guess they're calling her these days. Um, Natalia and Liv Morgan. Uh, you know, Alexa's the one getting all the TV time. I don't know if, if um, that would suggest that she's gonna win this. She's also, uh, again, with all due respect, probably the worst thing in WWE right now. Uh, <laughs> if only because it is the remnants of of the disastrous uh, a fiend character and storyline. But she is just absolutely changed the channel uh, of television. Uh, and and again, not, not a reflection on what she brings to the table. She's she's super talented, but this character is just bankrupt. It's awful. Um, so you know, n- nothing there excites me too much. Um, I agree with you that what they've done with her is terrible. But the the thing that interests me about her right now, and why I think she may actually win this match, is because you you have somebody who had been very much a top top. Uh, woman for them and was in the title picture was a champion was and then like completely kind of fell off due to injury and a variety of other things and with everything that they've done with her now to sort of resurrect her and i which is an ironic pun she's been you know nowhere near the title really and i feel like they might be thinking that it's time that that you know she hasn't been in that mix she used to be and and it might be interesting maybe if they repackage her i don't know to see her going against a bianca belair or or a rhea ripley or or you know in that kind of thing to see her in that in that mix might be might be fun you know yeah they seem all in on this character though so so 
whatever comes out of this, if she wins, it's going to be this Alexa Bliss that is challenging for the title. So uh, we'll see. And, and then real quick, Edge, Edge and Roman Reigns. This was the match that you know we thought we'd get at, at WrestleMania. Got every reason to think that this is going to be really good. Um, you know, you'd you'd think Roman would would go over. Uh, and and I guess you know, yeah, Edge doesn't need the win. On, on one hand, it's like you know, you got the returning star. How many times are you going to have him uh, lose? But he he uh, had the out of it being a triple threat at uh, WrestleMania, and he won the Rumble. So yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that R- Roman's got to beat him decisively. I would think, right? Yeah, and you know they've bungled it because you have it's hilarious to me, and they'll do this from time to time. Where even in the in the angle in the storyline, Edge is complaining about the exact thing that fans were complaining about, which right. is what have you done to this WrestleMania main event? I mean, Daniel Bryan is great; he's probably the best of the three of them. But you threw him in this match where he didn't need to be, and you had this great WrestleMania main event, the returning legend, you know, trying to get. You know, back to where, you know, get his one last shot, you know, the Rocky Balboa thing and reigns as just the remorseless, sadistic heel champion. It was great. And they blew it. And now it feels like too little too late, you know, and especially knowing that Edge is probably going to lose this match. It, it just it feels like too little too late to me. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the priority right now is keeping Roman Reigns strong, especially if they're heading towards Cena at SummerSlam and potentially so, heading toward The Rock at uh, WrestleMania, uh, he's got to just rack up these victories. And, right, and it, it'll serve that purpose because Edge has that status. You know, he's Hall of Famer, yes. he's a legend. Right. I mean, yeah, he lost at Mania and all that, but he's still got that. There's still a rub to be had, and for Reigns to to get a decisive win over him is, is great for Reigns. You know, it'll give him more forward momentum heading towards, like, like you said, John Cena and The Rock, where he's going to need as the, as much momentum as he could get in both of those cases. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they'd revisit Edge again. I mean, there's still a lot of pay-per-views between now and uh, WrestleMania. So after Cena, assuming it's a one-off at, at SummerSlam, maybe they, they go back to Edge. Um, there's still, and this is, you know, you're talking about a monkey wrench being thrown in. You, you'd think at some point the plan was Jimmy Uso. Right. I, I don't know what becomes of that with with his latest uh, run in with the law. Well, um, I'm sorry. Go on. No, just it, it sounds like, you know, they're still staying on track with the storyline. But um, you you would think that in the long term, this may affect the way they they look at Jimmy Uso and and his role in the company. No question. I mean, this is a third strike. I mean, uh, to be yeah. honest, with you, I wouldn't be surprised if they fire him after this. Sure. I mean, they- They've been quiet about how they're going to handle it, but you know they have to be furious because, like, it's really, really bad. The, yeah, yeah, right. They had shifted the the push from Jay to Jimmy. It's like they were giving Jimmy his shot now to tangle with Roman in the storyline, and he's kind of screwed it up. But I have to say, and and to to, I just what popped into my head is there's one other person that we haven't mentioned that is there's huge potential with who has been missing through the entire Thunderdome period, I think by design, who would have potential huge business to do with either world champion for different reasons, and it's Brock Lesnar, for God's yeah. sake. I mean, is, is think there about any that. reason to think? I, I mean, the, the, the match I think a lot of people are interested in is Lashley and Lesnar, you know. Right, but even but even Reigns, you have the history with Paul Heyman. I mean, Heyman would sell something like that 
to the moon, you know, being caught in the middle between the two of them, that whole deal of Lesnar coming back and saying, what are you doing with this guy? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, there's there's huge potential for both, really. They could do they could go either way. I mean, I'd rather see the Lashley one, too, but I really think they could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, fork over the uh, the money. <laughs> I'm sure they could, they could put it <laughs> right, together. But I, think, but I think they would. I think I really do believe that Vince has purposely kept him out of the picture during this Thunderdome thing, because he is that kind of, he's like an undertaker. He's like, I know it's blasphemous, but what I mean by that is he's like the guy where you need the pop, you need the, Oh my God, the Holy S when he comes out and the place goes crazy. You need that without that. He really loses a lot of steam because it's not like he's, you know, he's, uh, you know, I, I like his, his explosive kind of like, way of working, but it's not, it's, it's meant for a live crowd, that kind of thing. I think just like 14 suplexes in a row doesn't really work as well in an empty room, you know? So I, I think they've been waiting on him. I do. And I think they will make him the offer to come back. I think so too. I think the timing, um, is, is important. And I don't know if this is the right time. I mean, I suppose they need something for Lashley for SummerSlam, uh, that if you're doing Reigns versus, uh, Cena, I don't know that you need Lesnar on the same card. I mean, I think you could you can run back a a Kofi Kingston, Bobby Lashley, maybe at SummerSlam with some kind of stipulation or something. I mean, to me, would would maybe make sense is bring Brock in for WrestleMania with Lashley uh, next year, and and assuming uh, they do rock and rain uh, and reigns at WrestleMania, uh, maybe you you do Brock and. Roman at next year's SummerSlam. I mean, the other thing is that, you know, Brock isn't getting any younger, right? I mean, at, no. at, by next year, Brock, is is he getting close to 50? Uh, he's I, I think he's the, I actually think he's the same age as Cena. I, I think they are, because he got signed originally in 2000 right out of college, which means yeah. I believe he graduated in 99. So, which means he would be Brock, born in 77. Uh, he's 44. Yeah. Hey, what do you know? I think yesterday was his birthday. Happy birthday, Brock Lesnar. He just looks like he's 50. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not not an old. I mean, for, for UFC, I know he's always talking about um, kind of the MMA comeback. That might be too old for that. But for yeah, WWE, yeah he could keep on going for, for a <laughs> right. while longer. So uh, we'll see. All right, Brian, thanks so much. Uh, we'll both be uh, tuning into Money in the Bank. And, and uh, next time we're here, maybe we'll talk a bit about the fallout. Uh, thank you, Brian, uh, as always. Uh, My pleasure. Right Right now, let's hear from uh, the AEW Women's Champion uh, for my hot seat interview with her, available in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. This is Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Uh, thanks again, Britt, for doing this. Congratulations. Um, get, let, 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 let's talk a bit about uh, Sunday night. Um, yeah. I imagine a high point in, in your career. Uh, what was it made? Uh, all that much better by having fans uh, in the building. I mean, that's got to be the biggest crowd you've uh, worked in front of in, in more than a year, right? Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it was such an electric crowd. I, I you can't explain it unless you're there. But the, I mean, these, it was deafening the, the crowd, the chance, the cheers, everything about it. It was just, it, it almost, could almost make you emotional because it was something we haven't heard for so long. It, it was almost like a forgotten feeling. Yeah. Was there any self-doubt in 
how her fans going to react to me. I mean, you could feel that you're the hot thing and the act is over, but, um, and this has been a big conversation all over wrestling for the last year, right? It, it's hard to tell yeah. if something is truly over if there's nobody in the building to, to cheer it. So sure. uh, again, going out there, were there any questions about how, what the reaction would be? So uh, the Friday night before on Dynamite, I, I came out and cut a live promo. And what, what shocked me that night is I, I ended the promo saying DMD and the fans did it with me. And that was the yeah. first time. And it was so, I couldn't even hear myself say, say DMD because I could only hear the fans. And that kind of hit me. I was like, wow, you know, they're, they're really behind this. And then um, obviously I'm so nervous before the pay-per-view. And as soon as my music hits, I just, I heard that roar and it, it was the best feeling in the world because you never want to come out and, and it'd be like no reaction whatsoever. You want to be booed. You want to be cheered. Uh, it was, it was such a loud reaction. And then even, you know, on the go home for towards the end of our match, they, it's like the, the stadium was shaking. It's how loud it was. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to really feel special. Cause you think about, all the big moments in, in wrestling over the last year and all the titles changed world titles yeah. and um, th they've all happened in front of uh, almost no one. You get to have this moment. Right. Um, I, I imagine exactly how, how you pictured it with the big explosion uh, of a live crowd, right? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you don't, you can't really plan to have a great reaction when you win a title. I think everybody hopes deep down that's what's going to happen. But I never planned in a million years that it would have been. These fans were incredible to me, and I and I'm really thankful for them because they've they've been along for the ride with the the, the growth of Dr. Britt Baker DMD, and and now it's it's unreal how how much I feel the fan support, which is something I you know a year or two ago it was. They, it was the constant resistance. It was like, we don't want Britt Baker. We don't want her on our TV. And now <laughs> I truly feel like I'm an undeniable act on, on Wednesday night television. As a, a bad guy, uh, is it uneasy that there are so many cheers coming through? I mean, I guess that's always kind of like that balance that a good heel has to find. You want to be over, but you also want to be hated, right? So, do, so you, do you feel you're at that sweet spot right now? Yeah, because I don't change anything about me. I still say what's on my mind in all my promos. I think uh, if you met me on the, on the street, the Dr. Baker DMD character on the street, you wouldn't like her. It's a, it's very unlikable, uh, borderline, dare I say, bit like a bitch and arrogant, delusional. The fans, uh, for whatever reason, have, have chose to kind of swing towards the liking me direction. And I don't even think it's I feel that they just have so much respect for the work that I've put in in the last year because I, I can truthfully say I don't think anybody has worked as hard as I have. I, I really went from, you know, being at the bottom as far as women's talent to being arguably the top. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think you can say 2021, you know, women's wrestler of the year with it's with it at least putting my name in the mix in the pot. And, and I've come a long way. And I think fans just are very respectful of that. When, when you talk about all that work that you've put in over the last year, yeah. um, how much of it was concentrating on the the, the character, the personality, yeah. which obviously is over like gangbusters, and how much of it was the the work in the ring, which is where over the last couple of years you you faced some criticism, especially uh, surrounded by women like Hikaru Shida who've got all this experience and all this credibility yeah. and this great reputation. Was it a um, a conscious decision, you know, to, to prioritize one over the other? 
Um, so once I, I will say once the pandemic hit, I couldn't go to the dental office anymore. Uh, I, I really had, I was just fresh in this, in this heel turn. Still, I did nothing but professional wrestling. Cause I didn't have anything else to do. So this was like my time to just, I, I would go to the wrestling ring nonstop. I was watching wrestling nonstop and, and, you know, promos matches, everything. I was practicing promos nonstop. I was bouncing ideas off who, who I consider my, my mentors in the back nonstop. It's, I, I was working day in and day out because I wanted to be the best. I really wanted 2021 to be my year. And I felt like I had, I had it in me. I had everything. I just, I just really needed to zone in and dig deep down and really get to know this Dr. Britt Baker DMD character and own it. You have to own being a bad guy. If you're not comfortable with it, it comes off on the screen. You have to really, really, really accept this is who you are. Yeah, it, it, it's a bizarre question to ask, but how important a part of the act uh, has Tony Schiavone been? <laughs> so much. Oh, my gosh. You can't you can't say Dr. Brew Baker without saying two people, in my opinion, Tony Schiavone and Reba. But Tony um, is one of my best friends in real life. I, I always say we, we talk on the phone all the time, even when we're not at, at television. And he's always been supportive of me, always, always been one of the 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 cheerleaders in the front row from when I first turned heel and we were doing promos together. He was always, I felt like he was my safety net at all times. And it kind of gave me a little comfort because I was really nervous to do live promos as anyone would be who has no experience doing it. But in the back of my head, I was always like, Hey, Tony Giovanni's here. He, he kind of knows what he's doing. There's, this isn't going to go off the rails too bad. Um, but just outside of that, he's, he's always, 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 you know, cheering me on, hyping me up before my matches, before my promos, and just lets me degrade him on live TV, which <laughs> he's such a good sport about. Uh, but yeah, he he's such an important person in my life, and and I think to my success this year. Yeah, yeah, that moment after you won the title and and he came out. Oh right yeah, that table, almost so. got me. Yeah, that was like a real genuine moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's he's he's seen the growth you know, firsthand, he's, he's kind of been in the passenger seat while I've been in the driver's seat there, you know, helping me along. So both in, in wrestling, outside of wrestling, just, you know, personal struggles, you know, mental breakdowns, Tony Schiavone's always there. Yeah. Yeah. So again, talking about uh, the last year, I, I imagine uh, a turning point for you. And I think I've, I've heard you uh, say this was the match um, with Thunder Rosa uh, going into that match. Did you guys know um, that this was going to be something special? Was that the plan? I mean, it, it was talked about as one of uh, uh, the most groundbreaking best American women's matches on, on television, if not the best. Uh, yeah. Was that the goal going out there? Yeah, so I, I actually think the, the turning point was a little bit before that was when the feud started because so many people were invested in this feud and we had a match on Dynamite that got rootless, just, just a regular wrestling match, no stipulations, that got great response. And the match happened and people still wanted more. They still wanted to see the feud. That's what carried all the momentum coming into this Lights Out match is, is, is just our chemistry. The the Batman and the Joker, the, the villain and the good guy, the hero. And that that's something that's really hard to get in professional wrestling sometimes is, is that that genuine, man, we love this feud. And we were very lucky that the fans stuck with it for so long because we were building it for a long time. But then when once we heard, hey, you know, it's going to be a lights out on sanction match. It's going to be on the main event. You guys are the first female main event in all of AEW. We knew we had potential to make history and to be something that was talked about for a long time. And uh, we, we knew what we had to do. So, 
we had we had everything in the palm of our hands. We just needed to deliver, and we did. What is the the kind of um, process of getting ready for a match like that? Because I imagine anytime you're yeah. going into the ring, you've got to prepare to to feel some pain, to potentially be yeah. hurt or injured. Yeah. But when you're knowingly going into a match where you know you're going to go through some thumb thumbtacks and yeah. really be hurt, is is it a different level of kind of like psyching yourself out? It, it's you're crossing into a whole new level of insanity is really what it is. Um, I, it's exactly what you just said. You just have to be prepared for pain. You know, it's going to hurt. It's everything's going to hurt. It's going to hurt early on and it's going to hurt for the next, you know, 20 minutes that you're wrestling. It's going to hurt at the end. It's going to hurt the next two to three weeks after, but it's, it's the, it's, that's the match that that's what this match is an unsanctioned lights out match. And it's the main event. So you have to do it. You have to you have to go through the pain for the fans, for the story, for for the moment that it is. Yeah. Did, did you get um, a negative feedback from uh, fans, maybe from a different generation, more traditional, who just don't like seeing women doing stuff like that? Think it's not ladylike, think it's not feminine, don't want to see, you know, the, their female wrestlers covered in blood. Honestly, no. And I'm sure I'm sure they're out there and I'm sure there's a lot of them. But everything that I saw was so overwhelmingly positive. People from every single wrestling promotion on the on the country in the country reached out to me. Uh, You know, legends, people that I look up to my coworkers. It it was it was so overwhelming. I I I knew this match was going to be good. I didn't know it was going to be great. I didn't know it was going to be a match of the year contender. And it was such a wonderful surprise. But it was something it it was a pinch me moment and it took me a, a good couple of weeks to realize the impact that that had on, on modern day wrestling, modern day women's wrestling. And most importantly, the women, the AW women's division. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, uh, going into match with Hikaru Shida, it's kind of a whole different uh, situation, yeah. right? Where now again, it, it goes more into uh, the work uh, and, and the wrestling is that, in some ways, even more of a challenge because here's a, a, a woman who has this reputation for delivering um, um, yeah. this work rate and hanging in there with someone like her. It's the 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 title match with Sheeta. It was just totally different for so many reasons because Sheeta is is very beloved by the fans. She's been the champion during you know a difficult time, but I also feel like this is my time and a different. It, it was time time to take over and time to prove why, why I say I'm the best in all my promos, why I say this is a new era. And, and it, you can't, you can't say you're the best without showing you're the best. And you can't show you're the best without having a championship title belt around your waist. And I, I needed that. I know I, I needed to, to cap off this year with being the best and saying I'm the best with the championship title belt. So going into any, any match with any champion, I would have felt this kind of pressure, but because Sheeta is so talented, she is so loved by the fans. There's definitely that added, added stress. Yeah. Well, kind of uh, uh, looking more broadly, what's your take on on um, the AEW women's division? You know, yeah. for, for as much praise as the whole company has gotten since it was formed about two years ago, if there has been some criticism here and there, it's been about the, the women's division. You just touched on being the first main event, women's main yeah. event, almost what, two years into their uh, existence. Uh, and some folks would say, well, that, that was way too late, especially seeing, you know, what WWE has done headlining WrestleMania with women, uh, years ago. So do, do you think they've got some, some ground to make up? I mean, that's, that's very, it's, you know, we can argue back and forth all day, but we, we can't live in the past. We can only move forward. And the, the future has never looked brighter for the women's division. I, we have, you know, red velvet, Ty Conti, Serena, 
Thunder Rosa, Sheeta, and then leading the pack, Dr. Britt Baker. We we have a very strong women's division, in my opinion. And we're, there's going to be more matches. There's going to be more time because we have so much undeniable talent. So my, I, I don't really focus on the on the criticism of the past because there's so much praise right now and into the future. And, and that's we've worked really, really hard for that. So I don't I don't dwell on anything. I'm just excited for the future. Beyond just being the title holder and kind of, you know, on air representative for the women's division, um, are, are you looking to take a real leadership role behind the scenes in driving the the direction and the vision for uh, the women's division in AEW? Yeah, and I and I think I I think I kind of already have. Um, you know, we are our women's division. We have a lot of respect for each other at all times, but you know, they all, they're always supportive of whoever is, is it's their time at the moment. And right now is my time. Uh, and I, and I, I definitely feel the support and the respect of, of all the women, actually the entire roster. I, I need it's, I, I know they've, they've shown the footage, but after the lights out match with Thunder Rosa, we came to the back, the entire roster was on their feet applauding us. And that's, it's, it's such a, a good feeling at AEW that you, you just have the support of your peers. Yeah. Uh, do you look forward to the day and, and do you think it should happen that, that you headline uh, a pay-per-view? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, there's so many, there's so many women I can't wait to wrestle. I mean, Thunder Rose and I, our chemistry is undeniable. It's what we're going to wrestle again, probably many more times. And we'll probably try to kill each other many more times. And the fans love, the fans are still so behind that her and I, and whether, you know, my, my, viewpoints and opinions of her aside i'm here for the, i'm here to put on the best possible wrestling show and matches on, on the planet and and if that's what the fans want that's what we have to give them also serena i've, ne- I've never locked up with serena and she's one of the best technical wrestlers period not male not female just period she's so good i've never wrestled ty conti who, who was one of the up and coming she's going to be a top 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 female in this industry in the next year so it's we can go on and on all day with all the women i can't wait to be in the ring with yeah, I mean, when you talk about a rematch between you and, and Thunder Rosa for the title, that that absolutely feels like a, a pay-per-view main event and, and maybe one of the biggest matches that AEW can put together right now, right? Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and everybody knows that, and Tony knows that. So that's not, it's it's something that has, you know, glaringly obvious flashing red lights all over it. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk to, uh, a bit about your, your other job. Uh, so I, I wasn't aware. So so during most of the pandemic, um, you, you couldn't be working in, in your private practice. I guess that makes sense, right? I mean, that was so one not, of... So I wouldn't say the majority, but there was a solid like two months where um, we okay. could only, I could only go in for emergencies. So it would be like I'd go in, you know, at least a couple of times a week, but it wasn't the, the 10 hour, 12 hour days that I do now when I'm traveling all the time. So um, yeah it was just, it was a lot of time to do nothing but wrestling and focus on wrestling. I I'm telling you, I was so laser focused. I wanted to be the top female of this year. That's what I, that was my goal. I wanted, to, I wanted to be the person that when they talk about women's wrestling, that my name comes up that, that, you know, Dr. Britt Baker DMD is there. That's in the forefront of their minds. Did, did that make you reconsider whether you want to continue this this other career in as much as w- when you had that time to focus yourself fully uh, on wrestling, as, as you just touched on, it kind of paid off, right? So did, yeah. did that leave any questions in your mind, whether I'm stretching myself too thin? 
No, it doesn't because I always say that dentistry keeps me grounded and keeps me sane because wrestling can really, it can really be a lot sometimes on all fronts, physically, mentally, you get exhausted and you get really sometimes overwhelmed, you know, when great things are happening, when bad things are happening, but dentistry always like keeps me uh, in the real world too. And I, you know, I, I still, right now I'm only working three days a week in the dental office. And that's, that's my choice because I want to have all this energy and, and time to, de- to dedicate to professional wrestling. Cause I do think this is my time right now. Yeah. I just saw uh, a documentary the other day about, uh, Dr. Ken Jong, you know, the, uh, the comic comedian uh, actor who's actually a, a doctor. Um, and and it, it made me think of you. And, and um, I, I guess he was a doctor and started doing some like open mic standup uh, stuff. And then when, uh, after he got his first movie role, he decided, um, yeah, I'm going to commit myself to this completely and just became an yeah. actor, a comedian. Uh, and and I, I made me think of you, whether that's ever a choice that, that you make. I mean, do you think at, at some point in the future you will have to uh, choose, decide? I don't think so. Uh, Tony's very supportive of my dental career and, and encouraging of it as, as well. And even if it's like one day a week, I mean, I guess never say never. If it ever came to a point where we're traveling and, and, I, and I'm being needed way too much and way too often, maybe I would give give a little bit of time off. But I, it's not something I would want to do. If I can, If I can do the juggling act, I will. Yeah. Has it come in handy? Because the other thing about uh, Dr. Ken that I that I heard was he was doing comedy on stage once and a woman like uh, passed out with a heart attack in, in the audience and he was able to jump down and uh, help save her life. Uh, have you had situations like that uh, yeah. backstage? I imagine, you know, people are having dental issues all the time. Yeah. And I get phone calls you know, way often more than you would think from wrestlers saying, hey, this happened. What can I do? Can I come to the office? You know, I broke a tooth or I, uh, my tooth hurts or this happened. It's it's and it's cool. I, I like to be somebody that, that wrestlers can can trust and depend on in my other field, too, because I want to be respected as a dentist just as much as a wrestler. Yeah. How much do you think that's been part of your success in that it is just such a, a, a quirky, interesting story, the, the wrestling dentist that, that, oh, you know, my, my 10 year old kid was asking, you know, who am I yeah. going to be talking to? And I told him, oh, it's this uh, woman who's a champion who's also a dentist. I, I think my, my story as a wrestling and a dentist is, is, is charming. It's weird. It's confusing, but it's all, I, I hope it's admirable because it, it has been really, really hard from the day I started training and the day I started dental school until now being, being successful in both. And I, I know I wouldn't trade anything. I, I, I would have never, you know, done one or the other. I, I think it's, it's really built who I am as a person and my, my work, my work effort into everything is times a hundred now. And I think it's because I, I had to do that. I had to be constantly on the grind and in, in school and in training to, to even get by, let alone be the best. So now that I have a little bit more time to dedicate to each, cause I'm not, you know, I'm not in school and I'm not in training. I'm, I'm so focused on being the best. And I, and I know, I know that extra level I have to go that extra grind I have to put in. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other part of your story that's obviously really interesting to a lot of people is your relationship with, with Adam Cole, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, both brands were on um, Wednesday nights. Uh, was there any awkwardness uh, in that at all uh, uh, during no. that time? And now that they're off of Wednesday night, does that yeah. make any less or more awkward? No, not at all. We're, I mean, we're very supportive of each other all the time. And 
uh, as far as us both being on Wednesday, we were both, neither of us were home on Wednesday nights anyway. So it didn't really affect our time getting to see each other. But no, we're we're very, very supportive of each other and, and everything. He watches everything I do. I watch everything he does. And um, it's really cool to have somebody at home that you can just sit down and talk about your whole day with and they understand everything that you're talking about, everything that you're going through. Um, and I feel very fortunate because he's one of the best in the world uh, and, and promos and wrestling. And, and I get to just, you, you know, at, at the end of the day, come home to him and talk to him about anything. Do, do you talk wrestling? I heard Bianca Belair talk about this the other day and how she said that uh, a, a lot of couples in wrestling make it a point not to talk about wrestling uh, at home. Um, and, and I had never really thought about it, but I guess it, it makes sense. In, in your case, you guys have worked for two different companies. So um, I, I, I don't know if that would make you want to talk about it more or less. What is the no. conversation? So I'm a lot younger in the professional wrestling business than he is. This is only my fifth going on sixth year so I feel like I'm I'm like a lot more of the young eager super excited about everything whereas he's more the veteran where he's he's more cool calm and collected about everything like all the milestones in his career he's he's very chill about it all where I'm like either super excited or super upset so we definitely talk it's just a different different love different energy levels coming from both of us and he's really understanding he always says like oh man you remind me of 2000 and whatever because it, it, it's you know i i'm i'm years ahead of him and or, or years behind i guess you would say in, in career as far as wrestling but it's really cool because he's somebody that that always gives a very grounded approach and advice to me do, do you worry at all about how much things change uh when uh, both you guys get back on the road i guess close to full time which is happening you know and any day now uh i you, I, I thought about that a lot with with couples or wrestlers in general especially mm-hmm. those who are based in florida it's almost been um not like a year off but you guys get to sleep in your own bed at night and and are home a lot of the week that's about to go back to to the uh, the old way and change right and for folks like you in a, in a relationship, I imagine that can be even tougher. Well, we're very fortunate that everybody with, with our current situation, like neither of us, even when it's full time, we're not traveling that much. Uh, you know, we don't have like the five, six day loops or whatever. But I, I, I think that absence makes the heart grow stronger. So I, it's it's never been a problem for us in the past. I don't see it being one in the future. So I'm not I'm not really too concerned about that. He's probably getting sick of me at home anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Do you expect, do you look forward to the day one way or the other that you guys are working for the same company? Yeah, I, you know, I would love that. It's how easy would it be to work in the same company? If it never happens, that's okay too, because I, I want what's best for him and, and where he's going to be the most successful and the happiest. Um, it's, it, it can go one way or the other. And either way, I'm going to be, I'm going to be happy for him. But yeah, I, I'm definitely going to be in AEW for, for a hot second. So. I would love for him to come here, but if, if it's not in the cards, that's okay too. But I think, I think there's a lot of people that would love to see him in AEW. Yeah. Uh, wrapping up here, let me ask you something that a lot of uh, us at Pro Wrestling Illustrated have been talking about really for more than, than a year now. It'd be interesting just to get your opinion. Uh, so every year we do the, the PWI 500, right? Which is the, the, yeah. the oh, I know. top 500 wrestlers. And then separately we do the, the women's 100 that was once the female 50. And there's yeah. been a lot of discussion among you know the staff and, and fans and wrestlers and writers about whether it should all be one and, and whether the PWI 500 should be uh, completely open uh, to women, which I guess would mean doing away with with uh, a separate ranking. Uh, and I've heard of arguments for both sides, and, and I'd be interested in, in what you think about it. 
I mean, I, I agree. I see both sides. I think it's cool to consider wrestling as one, uh, as one entity and we're all athletes, but I also think it's kind of cool that like the women get their own top list and their own features and their own, you know, their own, that that's kind of cool because we need, we want the spotlight too. I mean, we're all big egomaniacs in wrestling and the, you know, the men get their own, we get our own. That's awesome. But, but I, I understand wanting the respect, the same respect as men. Right. Right. Yeah. Not, not any kind of uh, delineation uh, between the two, but right. what I've heard on the other side, and I guess you touched on is that in some ways you, you lose a little notoriety because you don't have your own issue with everyone right. pictured and, and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, right. I, and there's so many, like, there's so many top stars in wrestling right now that it's, it's, I can't even imagine what we're going to like, you know, cho- choosing the, li- the who's, who's goes where and wh- that would, that's, that's a headache for, for you guys. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, 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 I guess to wrap up, I, I always like to, to kind of look ahead uh, both for your, your uh, personal career and also AEW as a whole, which is going through a lot of changes now with new shows and, and new signings and getting back on the road. Uh, what, what do you see as kind of the, the immediate future for, for you and for, for AEW? What's the ceiling? You know, I want to, I want to definitely keep riding the wave because I feel a genuine excitement, uh, and, and passion from the fans right now that, that, that this is what I said on diamond, this is a new era that, that it's the era of the DMD. And I think they're excited for me. They're excited. There's a new champ and I represent the women's division. So if they're excited for me and being the new champion, they're excited for the women's division. And I'm hoping that means, you know, they're, they're watching our segments more, they're paying attention and they're really getting invested into every single thing that I do in the women's division does. So I really, really, really want to take over right now, take over all of women's wrestling and be the, the, the top of the top, the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're on your way. Thank you so much, Britt, for, for agreeing to talk. Uh, look forward to putting this together for the magazine. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. You too.